You're listening to the Life Tree Community Church Podcast, recorded on Sundays in Robbinsville, New Jersey. Our goal is to help you grow from root to fruit. Thanks for tuning in. We're so glad you're here. This morning, I'm going to invite Pastor Andre up. He's going to share um, our uh, our final message uh, of the Xmas series, uh, and then I said tomorrow night. Will be Christmas Eve, but uh, would you welcome Pastor Andre as he comes? And yes, we we just need to give him like a, a huge award because uh, we didn't plan this so well. And uh, he's preaching today and two days ago or three days ago. He had their youth Christmas party and he's setting up and doing everything. And I said, you know, we need to just not make, give you so much in the same week. And so he's just he was here late just all week working hard. And I appreciate uh, Pastor Andre. And I just want to let you know. This guy's awesome. So thank you, Pastor Dre. So Pastor Dan just gave me permission for this message not to be great. It's be okay. So I'm honored to share with you this morning uh, just kind of a real Christmas-centered message. And if you have your Bibles with you, uh, we're going to read a couple verses right off the top here, and then we're going to pray Matthew chapter one, and then we're going to go to uh, Luke chapter two. And I'm talking to you today about multiplied love. What does it look like at Christmas when Jesus comes? What does it mean for us? And I want to read some of these verses we know because they're part of the Christmas story. Should be along on the screen here. You'll follow along on the screen. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Can you guys say that word with me? Emmanuel. Which means, I want you to say it with me, God is with us. We could stop right there. That's the best promise of Christmas, that God is with us. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. At the time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Chiranus was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. Will you guys pray with me one more time this morning? Let's just ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us during this time. Holy Spirit, we're so, we're so honored to be here today. We're so honored to talk about you. And we ask you in these next few moments that you would speak to our hearts about the true meaning of what Christmas is. We give you permission to speak to us. We give you permission to convict us. We give you permission uh, to show us maybe something in our heart that might need to change. 
And I ask you that you would give us courage today to respond to your word. We thank you for your word. Thank you that it's better than any publication. It's better than New York Times. It's better than any magazine, any novel, because your word has power. Thank you that it's a light to our path, a lamp to our feet. We thank you, Lord, right now that your word can speak to us. And we give you permission to do that. In your name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. Many of you know a little bit about our story before we moved to New Jersey. We've been in New Jersey about a year and a half, which is amazing to think about that it's gone that quick. It feels so quick in in some ways. Uh, But before we came uh, to New Jersey, we were pastoring at a church in Tennessee for 15 years. How many know that Tennessee is a lot different than New Jersey? And I've kind of shared this before. Uh, I grew up in Youngstown, Ohio, kind of northeast part of Ohio, real city, urban city. Carrie grew up in New Jersey. Uh, We were married outside of the greater Philadelphia area, lived there for a couple years. And so when we moved to Tennessee, uh, it was culture shock to us, big time. But uh, we loved it. It was a great place. We feel like God called us there, uh, really supernaturally, miraculously called us there. And it was an awesome time. Uh, Really for God, when we had kids, we moved there when Claire was just six months old. And we always joke that she cried every day until we moved to Tennessee. And uh, something about Tennessee soothed her and calmed her down. And so we had our other two children there, and we had a great experience in Tennessee. A lot of great memories, a lot of fun in Tennessee. But um, it was different. We, we served at a church that sat on 140 acres. It was a big campus. And uh, at different times in the, in the history of the church, it was a conference center and uh, a youth camp and a Bible college that sent missionaries all throughout the world. And we got to be a part of that. We lived at a, on a parsonage right on that property. And because it was such a big piece of property, it was kind of outside of any town. It was a little out of the way. Really, you know, everything in the south is marked by where the closest Walmart is. And so we were about 10 to 15 minutes to the closest Walmart, and that was where all of civilization started in the South. And so you're laughing, but it's true. And so we were a little bit off the beaten path, and we had a friend who lived right around the corner from us who was a part of the church, and his property was on the other side of the church campus. By the way, where we live is where Anna's family's from. They live, they're like our neighbors when we live down there. And so uh, on the other side of the property of our campus that we, that we served at, uh, I had a friend who was a farmer, and uh, Kyle, it's good to see you because we talk about farming, so you can just shoot down all my theories today. Um, he was a great guy, and I think he was on a mission while we were there to countryfy these city folks. And so he would oftentimes invite us to come over to the farm. And I just have to say, like, he would do this all the time, and he would say, um, hey, Pastor Andre, would you... Come over, we've got some strawberries. You can bring your kids over and you can come pick the strawberries. Okay, I, I think I can do that. Then he'd call other times and say, hey, our horse is about to have a baby. You want to come watch? No, the hard pass on that one. He would, just about every other week, he would come to my office and say, hey, you should bring the kids over. We've got some baby goats that are there or some pigs. or so Come bring them over and come Come feed them. Come. One time he said this. He said, hey, we, we just had some, some baby cows. I don't know where all the terms, calves. And he said, but the mom died. But you have to, you have to see this. The, there's a mama goat who's there who's feeding the, the baby cows. It's amazing. You should come see it. No, bro. <laughs> I think that's unbiblical or something. I don't know. 
And so he would always come up with all these stories of why we should come to the farm. And we did. We'd always come over and have some pictures of my kids through the years at the farm. You can see them here riding donkeys and holding goats and lambs and all kinds of different things. We we had a good time there. But I, I have to tell you just right off the bat, I hated the farm. Like, I really hated the farm. My kids loved it. Look at their smiles. They're happy. Picking strawberries, riding Clarice the donkey. I, I hated it. I was never prepared. I've never wore the right things. I was always stepping in something that was wrong. It smelled. It was nasty. You guys are laughing, but it's true. I, I absolutely hated it. I, and I would stand off to the side as, as the farmer Bracken would just take our kids and do these things. And, hey, Pastor Andre, why don't you jump in here? No, I'm good, bro. I'm, I'll be right here. I'll stay here. And any time that we'd bring the kids home, it was like I could not get them into the bathtub or into the shower fast enough. I, it, you know, and for some reason, I just realized Carrie would never come with me. Like never once you came. Yeah, she said she's smart. And I, I mean, as soon as we got home, it'd be like, start the showers. Let's throw the kids and burn their clothes. It's a little bit over eager on those kind of things. I, I, I like I hate getting my hands dirty. Like if you ever go out to eat with me, like I will have more napkins than you because I cannot get my hands dirty. And so the farm was the absolute worst place for me. It, it just was I hated it. It smelled. It was it was never clean. I didn't like it. And he loved it. And, you know, Kyle will probably love this. So, Kyle, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not made to be a farmer, though. And it's so funny. He because he lives so close to the church, um, his animals would get loose sometimes. True story. One time we're sitting after dinner. Um, the kids are outside. Carrie is sitting by the window kind of watching the kids. I don't know what I was doing and not watching the kids, I guess. And uh, I was somewhere else and I heard Carrie say this phrase. You know, as a parent, there are things that when you hear yourself saying them, you never in your life would think that you would utter certain phrases. Do you have these things? We have these conversations all the time. Could you ever believe that we would say this as a parent? Anyways, Maybe it's just me, but I could hear Carrie in the window saying, no, no, Claire and Lucy do not bring that goat in the house. No, he is dirty and smelly. Do not bring him in the house. True story. Never thought that a parent, as a parent we'd ever have to say that. I was thinking as my, my girls will bring guys home eventually, I may use that phrase again. <laughs> He's dirty. He smells. Okay. Thank you. I should close right now. That's not. That's, that's the best part of the sermon. Trust me. I'm sorry, girls. That's not in the notes. There's another time, and I promise I'm going to tie this to Jesus in a second. Just I promise. There was another time. Where I was working late, you know, we lived about a quarter mile from the church on the same property. And uh, it was a late night. I think I was getting ready to speak on a Sunday morning. I had gone to my office kind of late to prepare. I was, it was late. It was after midnight or something. I was going home. And it was one turn. You'd turn out of the church parking lot, make a left, and you'd go to our parking lot, our, our parking area. And as I made that turn to the left, I slammed on my brakes. Because right in the middle of the road was a white horse. But not just any horse, 
a mini horse. You're saying cute. I was scared out of my mind. A mini horse was standing in the middle of the road. It would not move. I was scared. But I want to say this to you. It was the most fearful moment of my life and the most exciting moment of my life all at the same time. We locked eyes. Well, locked eye because he was kind of like this way. Some of you get that later. And in, the, in that moment, in that moment, I was like, I, I'm not sure what's going to happen. I, I'm not getting out of the car to move this horse. But because I'm a kid who grew up in the 80s, watching 1980s movies, the presence of a mythical creature was always the, the ex- excitement or the start of an adventure. So I, in this moment, very tired going home, I thought, maybe, maybe something's about to happen here. That's important. You know, I grew up watching like movies like Willow, Fraggle Rock, like shows like that, Gremlins, and my favorite movie of all time, The Never-Ending Story. And so I thought for a moment that perhaps this was about to happen, but it didn't. I, I told later the next morning, I told um, the farmer, I said, hey, I think your mini horse was loose last night. And he, he said, no, when I woke up, he was, he was there. He was there. And so for a couple of weeks, I drove past the farm and I would look at the mini horse and think maybe I had made the whole thing up until weeks later he had told me, yeah, he keeps getting out at night and coming back in the morning. I hated the farm. Here's my point today. I was thinking about this, this story. I've had the opportunity and privilege to preach the Christmas story lots of times in the last couple decades. And I've, you could take that off, please. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Dustin. And I've preached it from all kinds of different perspectives. I've preached it from the perspective of Mary. I've preached it from the perspective of Joseph, the shepherds, and the wise men. But as I was praying and studying this week, I felt like the Holy Spirit really said to focus on the setting of where this story takes place. And for all intents and purposes, it, it takes place in a farm, it takes place in a stable. We know the manger. It's the feeding trough of the animals. If you know this story, you know that Mary and, and Joseph are needing somewhere to stay. Babies on the way. Not just any baby, but the Savior of the world is about to come in to the world. And it's, it's, it hit me, too, by the way, that Jesus' first interaction was rejection because he was rejected by the innkeeper. Sent to the stable, sent to the farm, which essentially at that time was, was half farm and half our, our modern day gas station. It was a rest stop for travelers, for the vehicles that they were bringing on. And that's where the Savior of the world came, to a farm. To a place that was not clean, that was dirty, that was gross, that was smelly. That's where Jesus decided to come. And it so highlights something to me because... This God who came for us came in this way, and I'm so glad he did. I'm glad he didn't come to a palace, which he deserved, and I'm glad he didn't come to a five-star hotel, which would have been a lot better for him. Can you imagine if we were setting up our nativity scenes with little hotel situations? Jacuzzi. Okay. He did not, he did not come that way, 
And I think there's something important about that. Because the Savior of the world came to a place that was dark and not perfect and chaotic. I think as a reminder to us that wherever we are in our lives, wherever, whatever the conditions of our hearts are, he is welcome there. He's welcome there. Whatever dark things, whatever things that aren't right, whatever chaotic things, whatever things so is smelly, whatever things you're trying to keep from people, Jesus will just show up right in the midst of it. He's not afraid of it. He doesn't require you to tidy it up. He just shows up. You know why? Because his name is Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. Doesn't say that God comes after you get it all together. It just says that he wants to come and hang out and show up. And when he shows up, you know what happens? Is that a farm stable, a place where animals was, was once in the day just a, just a, a normal stable at the beginning of the day. Because love, capital love, comes into the room, that stable is never the same. Never the same. It is a place where love is multiplied infinitely in that place. Imagine what happened. It was a stable in the morning. In the evening, it was a palace because love showed up. And this is what God does in our hearts. He just shows up wherever we are, whatever we knew, whatever we need. He's the God who is with us in our manger hearts. He comes right where our mess is. And by the way, sometimes we forget that the Bible teaches. I think sometimes we, ha- we think that this is the first time that Jesus ever existed right here in this moment. But the Bible, the Bible is really clear to teach us that Jesus existed before time began. This is the second act of Jesus' life. And here's what Philippians 2 tells us this. It encourages us to have the same attitude that Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up. Everyone say gave up. Come on, everyone say gave up. He gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Out of his deep love for you and me, Jesus made a choice to leave heaven and enter our world as a baby. But the baby was more than just a baby. He was the eternal, ever-existent, almighty God who dressed himself in human flesh so that he could dwell among men and purchase our salvation. God with us. This is the biggest hope of Christmas that we have, that God is with you right in the midst of wherever you are today. And I want you to hear that. I believe that there's some people in this room that need to hear that today because you feel alone. You feel like the mess is too big. You feel like it can never be cleaned up. It's, it smells. It's a little crappy. Can I, you can email Pastor Dan if you're upset about that. Pastor Dan Greco at gmail.com. Listen, we think sometimes our life that, that, we, that God can't come in and, and, and do anything. But he doesn't want to do anything. He just wants to show up and be with you. He, he desires a relationship with you, and he will go to whatever lengths it takes to be in that relationship. He came. He gave up his position in heaven to come for you and come for me. And that is an unbelievable promise at Christmas. We all have a stable heart. 
He doesn't wait for us to become perfect, to have our act together. He's there in our chaos, turning our weaknesses and fears into promises and strengths just because he shows up. Whatever your fears are today, he just wants to show up next to you and give you courage. He just wants to be in a relationship with you. He is the God who is with you wherever you are today. Why? Why did he come like this? Why did he leave heaven to do that? There's a key to this. We probably all know this verse. It's found in John 3.16. Go ahead and we're going to put it on the screen. It says this. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Because God loved the world. People, we know this verse, don't we? For God so loved the world. Don't we know this? This is the most, probably one of the most famous verses in the Bible, right? People that don't even go to church know this verse. We see it all the time at sporting events, don't we? People holding up signs, John 3, 16. Um, we see them in the end zones. We, probably next to Psalm 23, these, these two verses compete for what is the verses that everybody knows. But do we really know this verse? Do we really know it on the inside? Because here's the reason why Jesus would choose to leave heaven to come as a baby, because he loved the world. He loved you. He loved me. He chose to come. There's four definitions. There's four different levels of love in the New Testament. New Testament was written, written in the Greek, and there's four different levels of love. And, and so when the New Testament uh, audience was reading this, this this verse, they would recognize the word love as something different. So the three, the four levels of this, number one, the first level was a word called eros. In fact, th- this word meant, this kind of love meant self-seeking love. And this kind of love was only concerned about what I can get. What can you give me? I need that. It's a love that only meets needs. In fact, it was so selfish that none of the New Testament writers actually use this word for love at all. Second level of love that in the Greek is a word called stergo. And it's really a word that is used when you talk about your family. You know, when you're going to have your crazy uncle that comes over for Christmas. You might drink a little bit too much and say stupid stuff. But when he leaves, eh, that's Uncle Jeff. We still love him. Right? It's your family. It's, it's people maybe didn't choose to, but you love them because there's a, it's a family kind of love. They might be a little crazy, but you love them anyway. That was Sturgo kind of love. And then there's phileo, love. It's where Philadelphia gets its, its name from, brotherly love. It's love that's based on compatibility or shared interest. It's the kind of love when a boyfriend and a girlfriend are, are, are courting or starting out. It, it's the kind of love that draws them together. Hey, I like you. You like me. Let's hang out. Or it's the kind of love that best friends gather around. Hey, you like the same things I do. Cool, we like each other. Let's hang out. Let's be friends. But it's the kind of love, it's a great kind of love, but it's also a love that can be flawed because those people can disappoint you. But there's a higher love. When God says, for God so loved the world, he uses the word agape love. I think Dustin's going to put that on the screen for us. Agape love. Everyone say agape. You've probably heard this if you've been around church a while. But this definition of love is so hard for people uh, scholars and, and commentators to, to really define because it's, it has such 
rich, deep meaning and emotion. They have a hard time defining exactly what this means. But when God says, I sent Jesus, I love the world, he's using this version of love. It's sacrificial love. It's one of the most difficult words to translate. There's no, it's a no strings attached kind of love. It's not looking for what it can get, but for what it can give. And God's saying, I just love you. I'm not looking for anything from you, but I love you so much that I will send my son to die for you. No response needed. A love that's willing to do whatever it takes and even give up its own life for the one it loves. That's how much God loves you today. That's good news for us today. God loves us not from an Eros love or a Stergo love or a Phileo love, but he loves us from this high agape love that only God can love truly. God's love, and listen to this, God's love was evident in creations and his blessings throughout all of time. But it wasn't until agape love entered the world as Jesus until we got to see the fullness of God's love. We got to see parts of God's love. We got to see shadows of God's love. But we got to see the fullness, the multiplied love of God when Jesus came onto the scene. His birth and his death proved to us that God was really loving us. He became a baby because he was making a statement. And that statement was, I'm done with barriers. The love is multiplied for everyone everywhere. And I'm so glad that he chose to do it that way. Humanity has never quite experienced the fullness of God's love until that moment. The Christmas story is a love story. It's the realization that God has always been coming after us and wooing us. It's better. It's better than a notebook. It's better than Twilight. It's even better than Hallmark movies. Yeah, I'm stepping on some toes there, huh? Can I just say that Hallmark movies all have the same plot? Yeah, it's true. We play this game in my house. I, I drive the women in my house crazy with this. You know, oh, what, what's this movie about? Are big city riders passing through town. Snowstorm happens. He's stuck and falls in love with the innkeeper. Yeah, every movie's some variation of that. This is like when you preach, it's just good therapy, by the way. Um. His love story towards us is better than that. A lot better. He's always been chasing us. He's always been coming after us. When sin sin entered the world, God enacted a plan to get Jesus onto the scene. To show us what his full love was. Multiplied. For God so loved the world. Every other religion says that good enough living is what saves us. Every religion besides Christianity, says that you're good enough, your good enough living will save you. But Christianity is the only religion that says, if you will just accept this love, he will save you. Because we cannot save ourselves. That's why he did it. That's why he's God with us. But what do we do about it? What do we do about it? We accept Jesus into our manger hearts. We understand that he loves us, but why do we do it? There's a, there's the answer to that is found in 1 John 3.16. So I read John 3.16 to you. John writes other letters in, in the Bible. And he writes three of them. writes Revelation. But in 1 John 3.16 through 18, he says this. We know what real love. Everyone say love. 
You know what you know what word for love he's using is agape love. We know what real agape love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's agape love be in that person? Dear children, let us not merely say that we agape love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. You know what John is telling us? Now that you've experienced this kind of love in your life, it's time to do more than just talk about it. It's time to multiply it. It's time to talk about it and show it to people around you. John 3.16, 1 John 3.16 is the Christmas story for us. When we encounter a love like that, that agape love, we are called to share it with those around us. You can't help but tell someone about it. Here, so here's, here's what happens. Jesus is born in the manger, and worship team, you can come because we're going to close and, and take communion here in just a second. Luke chapter 2, we, we know the story of Joseph and, and Mary, and they have the baby to have Jesus in the stable. But down the road is a group of guys called the shepherds, and they're out tending to sheep, and angels start talking to them and say, hey, today a baby's been born. And not only, heaven parts open for them. These guys are just doing their job. Which, by the way, some historians believe that these particular group of shepherds were the shepherds that were in charge of the sheep that was for the sacrifice at the temple. That's why they were there at night. That's why they were there outside the city. They were in charge of taking care of all the spotless lambs that would be bought for the sacrifices. It's big money, big business. Because, you know, before Jesus, the way to get rid of your sins was to bring a sacrifice of a spotless lamb. But then Jesus came and he became the spotless lamb for us, for all of us. I love that. Historians really believe that these guys, that's the type of sheep that they were watching after that night, that they would sit on a watchtower all night to make sure that these spotless, perfect sheep that represented income for them and for that whole region would be safe. The shepherds that were watching that sheep, the angels began to tell them about another spotless lamb, the spotless lamb. And they spoke to him and said, hey, a baby has been born here in Bethlehem. And the shepherds responded the way that we are supposed to. They came and they knelt before Jesus in all. Luke chapter 2 says this. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village. They found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone about what had happened. Did you catch that? After they saw Jesus, they could not help but to tell those around them, hey, something different has happened. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. They couldn't believe it. Can I close with one more story today? I'm going to anyway. (laughs) When I was about 12 years old, um, I was in a bike gang. wasn't sons of anarchy it's more like sons of swin 
or something. It was, it was bicycles. Had friends. Grew up in, on the south side of Youngstown. Real kind of urban neighborhood. And me and my friends, would, from sunup to sundown, we would just be on our bikes. And we did have rival neighborhoods on other bikes. But hey, that's a, another story. And I was with my cousin Dana. And Dana was like a brother to me. He's two years older. And wherever Dana and I went, we kind of got in a lot of trouble. People didn't know what to do with my family. I'm half Puerto Rican. Dana is half black. And we would be together. It was like the United Nations, my family. People could never figure out if we were brothers, if we were like stepchildren situation. People didn't know what was going on with us our whole lives. We were riding on a street, street over from mine. And as we're riding past the house, there's a yellow. I can remember this uh, like it happened yesterday. There was a yellow house. It was the middle of July. And as we go past this yellow house, we can see a bunch of adults sitting on the porch. They're all they're, they're having beverages. They're laughing. They're carrying on. And as we go past the house, behind them is a connected garage. And the garage is on fire. The roof is on fire. The roof. The, oh, never mind. Um, it's engulfed in flames. Looked at my cousin. Did you, did you see that? Let's go back. We, we turned and we stopped. The garage is in, it's connected to the house. This house was behind my neighborhood, behind my street. It's in flames. And we, so we started yelling to the porch. Hey, your house is on fire. And they stopped and they looked at us. I can't repeat what they said to us. They, they called us some nasty racial slurs. Told us to move along. It's a true story. We ignored it. Hey, your house is on fire. They kept yelling at us. Keep going, guys. They knew us from the neighborhood. They knew that we were just knuckleheads. We kept screaming, your house is on fire. And they were not paying attention. They kept drinking, kept laughing, carrying on. And finally, Mike, you got to have a cousin like Dana. Finally, my cousin Dana picked up his bike and threw it into the street and started swearing at them. Hey, you bleep, 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 bleeps. Your house is on fire. And they, in that moment, we were doing everything that we can. We were jumping up and down, saying, your house is on fire. And they finally came to the edge of the porch. We were yelling at them, call 911, call 911. And they finally believed us. They, they saw it. We stayed around. The fire department came. They, they put out the fire. There was really no damage to the main house. We were heroes. We never got credit for it got called a lot of names that day, but no one gave us credit for it, which is okay. We joked for years. We still joke about it, that we're going to go back to that house and get money. We still joke about it, but it's a picture to me. Listen, it's a picture to me. Remind, I was reminded of this story. I haven't thought about this story in a while, but this is our call as Christians. There are people all around you whose houses are on fire. They don't even know it. And you have the answer for it. You've encountered an agape kind of love. So there's, there's a lot of different people in this room today. There are some people that you needed to hear today that God will step into your mess. He'll be with you. He loves you. He doesn't need you to clean up. He just needs you, he just needs you to recognize that he's in the room with you. And he will guide you through those things. And because of his love, when you encounter it, You'll want to make some changes in your life. You cannot help yourself when God shows up. 
His love is so compelling and so amazing and the most amazing version of love you've ever encountered that when he shows up, you will want to make some changes. He doesn't even have to tell you. You're just, you're compelled to do it. And there's other people in the room that you, you're okay. You understand that. You have a relationship with God. Your manger, your stable isn't as messy as it used to be. But there's a mandate on your life today to tell the Christmas story to those around you. Because there are houses on fire. There are people that you have the remedy and you're walking by. There were people, I was sitting in Starbucks yesterday, and I was just overwhelmed by the amount of people that were coming in there. Saying, wow, there's some people here. You could see it on them. Their houses were on fire. You don't have to do, you don't have to throw your bike down and say bad words to get their attention. But you know what you can do? You can insert yourself in people's lives and just model the love that God has shown you with people. You can model a type of agape love to those around you. You're equipped to do it because Jesus did it for you. There are people in your life, there are co-workers. Their house is on fire. And because of what the multiplied love that God has done in your life, if you will just let that out all around you, it'll change people. It'll put out people's fires. It'll save marriages. It'll reconcile relationships just because you insert yourself into their life. Just because you're being you. You don't have to preach like I do. You can just be who you are. And it'll change things to you. You guys agree with me today, church? Some of you guys have testimonies of these kind of things happening. I've heard people say this recently. I just I find myself in God is putting people in my path. He wants you to share that love. And I, I believe today that it's so important that we look around and say, where can I share this love? It was never meant to just stay here with us. If we're like the shepherds. We have to go tell some people about it today. Who is it today for you? Who is it? Who does God put on your heart that you can just say, I'm not going to give up on them. I'm going to quit loving them. I'm going to believe that God's love will break through on them. For some of you, it's people in your own house. It's your own family. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's a co-worker. Maybe it's somebody in the neighborhood. Maybe it's your barista. But God has placed you in their life. God has placed you in their life for a reason. It's not by accident today. Teenagers, I believe that God puts you in certain friend groups and schools and classes because he needs a representative of heaven, of love in those places. Who is it in your classroom that you can make a difference in? I want to pray real quick. And then we're going to receive communion. Ushers, if you want to start preparing, please feel free. But if you bow your heads all around here today. I want to pray. I want to give an opportunity for you to respond this morning. If you're here in this place today and you'd say, Pastor Dre, I'm not sure that I really have encountered that kind of love of Jesus yet in my life. Maybe I know about him, but I don't really, I've never encountered that love that you're talking about tonight, this morning. If that's you today and you say, Pastor Dre, will you pray for me? Because I want to know that kind of love with nobody looking around. That's you. Will you lift up your hand? Just real quickly. I, I want to pray for you today. If you've never encountered that kind of love, maybe you don't even have a relationship with Jesus today, and say, hey, I'm ready to do that today. Would you lift up your hand? I see your hands. You guys can put them down. It's awesome that you did that. We're going to pray for you in just a second. If you're here today, 
and you just felt like almost like something's burning on the inside of you when I talk about that house being on fire. I want to pray right now that God would show you some people in your life that you can share that love with today. I believe that God's going to speak to you. I believe he's going to put a name in your heart, show you the face of somebody that he, that he has strategically placed you near so that you can put out a fire with his agape love. Let's pray. We're going to receive communion here in a second. Jesus, thank you for those in the room that raised their hand, that want to know you, want to know your love. I pray this Christmas that you will show up in their mangers, show up in their stables in a powerful way. pray that you would wrap your arms around them, let them encounter and experience the depth of your love. It is not a shallow love, Lord. I pray that you will show yourself to those that have said, hey, I want to know this kind of love, Lord. Thank you that you're a God who doesn't play games. You're not a God who teases us. You're a God who keeps his promises. You're the God who is with us. And I pray that you will be with us this Christmas season and be with those that are longing to know you in deeper ways. Lord, I pray for the rest of us in this room. I believe there's people that you're placing on our hearts this Christmas season before the end of the year to go make a difference in, Lord. Not because we're great, not because we're gifted, not because we want to make a name for ourselves, but just because we've encountered your love and we want to share it with others. So I pray, Lord, I pray that you'll show us faces. I pray that you'll give us opportunities. I pray that you'll put it on our heart to call somebody, to text somebody, to stop in the middle of the grocery store, if that's the way that you lead us, to just be a friend, to just be someone that shows love the right kind of way. We honor you tonight. We honor you this morning, Lord. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Life Tree Community Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit us at wearelifetree.com or on Facebook and Instagram at wearelifetree.